You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. A classic ballad describes a faraway land. You're so near to Russia, so far from Japan, quite a long way from Cairo, lots of miles from Vietnam. You're so sadly neglected and often ignored, a poor second to Belgium when going abroad. Your mountains so lofty, your treetops so tall. Finland, Finland, Finland. Finland has it all. Okay, by classic ballad I meant a song off of Monty Python's Contractual Obligation album. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. It's been a great week for listener interaction here at the Wyboff headquarters. On the monthly topic poll at patreon.com slash yourbrainonfacts, patron Sean left the comment, kind of want to see what she can do with something so vague as Finland, and see you shall, or hear it at any rate. And yes, Sean, I know you weren't actually challenging me. We also got our first correction and first audio feedback all in one. And we'll get to that later in the episode. So, why Finland? Well, what do you know about Finland? That's why. First, the rote info. Finland is a country in Northern Europe bordering the Baltic Sea between Norway to the north, Sweden to the northwest, and Russia to the east. The capital and largest city is Helsinki. The majority of the population is concentrated in the southern region. The official languages are Finnish, Swedish, and Sami, which you heard about in episode number 47, Meeting New Peoples. The two most common religions are Evangelical Lutheranism and the Finnish Orthodox Church. The sovereign state is a parliamentary republic with a central government based in Helsinki, local governments in 311 municipalities, and one autonomous region, the Åland Islands. Over 1.4 million people live in the Greater Helsinki Metropolitan Area, which produces one-third of the country's GDP. Alright, with that out of the way, we can really get down to business. The Finns are a fascinating people. Not just down to their bones, to turn a phrase, but all the way down to their DNA. The Finns are considered a genetically independent population when compared to the rest of Europe. A study published in the journal Nature studied the genetic codes of more than 60,000 people from five continents in order to provide the biggest data set of its kind to the scientific community. The study analyzed mutations in the protein-coding regions in the DNA, called exome regions. Different populations display different mutations in some of these genes. Gene mapping needs to be done prior to specialized studies, and Finns are an ideal population for gene mapping due to their genetic lack of diversity, not in an inbreeding way, but in a way called homogeneity. A study at the University of Helsinki 
first investigated the genes of German and British populations as a basis for comparison and found them to be genetically close to one another, which is hardly a surprise considering their historical interactions. But when the researchers looked at the population from Finland in comparison to other parts of Europe, the similarities between the Finnish people and other populations were sparse enough to declare the Finns a genetic isolate. The ancestors of modern Finns, once they arrived in that cold land thousands of years ago, remained relatively separate from even their closest European neighbors. Although modern travel and telecommunications have reduced this isolation, the evidence of centuries spent apart will always be in their genome. Being a genetic isolate has downsides, though. They carry with them something known as Finnish disease heritage. FDH consists of almost 40 rare hereditary diseases that are clearly more prevalent in Finland than elsewhere in the world. These are all particularly rare diseases. I would list some examples, but I have only heard of literally one of them before. FDH doesn't include things like Parkinson's or achondroplastic dwarfism that are seen in other populations. It's caused by the fact that the modern population is descended from a relatively small original population, some of whom carried the gene markers for these diseases. In addition to the genetics of the Finnish people being distinctive from their neighbors, their language also came from a different place than the languages of the nearest countries. Finnish is a Uralic language, while Scandinavian languages like Swedish and Norwegian are Indo-European languages. Finnish's Uralic cousins include Estonian and Hungarian. The Finno-Uric languages share common lexical and grammatical features, like absence of gender, the same Finnish pronoun, han, denotes both he and she, absence of articles, like a and the in English, numerous grammatical cases, and oddly, no equivalent of the verb to have. How long Finnish speakers have populated Finland is a question that has often interested scholars. It's thought that speakers of Finno-Uric language had been living in present-day Finland since at least 3000 BCE. During the ensuing millennia, speakers of the Finno-Uric language and speakers of the neighboring Indo-European languages interacted. Along the way, Finnish picked up some loanwords. Most present-day loanwords in Finnish have come from the Germanic and Scandinavian languages, especially from Swedish. There's a great infographic-style family tree of European languages. Look for that and other bite-sized facts about Finland on our social media throughout the week at Facebook and Instagram.com slash YourBrainOnFacts and Twitter at BrainOnFactsPod. When you think of the highlights of 20th century military history, Finland probably doesn't make your top 10 list, or even your top 20 or 50. Yet Finland produced the man who is regarded as the deadliest sniper in history. With at least 505 confirmed kills during the Winter War of 1939-40 through 40 between Finland and the Soviet Union, Simo Haya rightly earned the nickname the White Death. Simo Haya was born in 1905 in the old Finnish region of Karelia, in what is now Soviet territory. He was by all accounts a quiet man, 
a farmer by trade, and enjoyed snow skiing and hunting. The Winter War only lasted 105 days, but Haya served for 98 of those with the 6th Battalion Infantry Regiment 34. It was the Soviets who gave him the nickname White Death, and 98 days was more than enough time for them to learn to fear Simo Haya, who once killed 25 men in a single day. On one occasion, after Haya had killed an enemy sniper with a single shot, the Soviets in turn tried to kill him with a mortar bombardment on his firing position. Haya emerged without a scratch. On another occasion, an artillery shell landed near him and tore open the back of his coat. He got one scratch. For a soldier who spent so much time on the front line, Haya reported that he was never scared. He treated his job like he treated hunting, and was always thinking of new ways to remain hidden and fool the enemy. He developed clever techniques, such as pouring water onto the snow in front of him so that the muzzle blast would not expose his location by disturbing the light snow. He would hold snow in his mouth so his breath wouldn't fog in the air. He also became a master of using sound, smoke, and artillery fire to cover his movements when changing position. Haya's skills were compounded by his extensive preparation. During the night, he would often visit his favorite firing positions, making whatever preparations and improvements he felt necessary. With maps being scarce during the war, Haya relied on his memory to find the best positions. His behavior might be described as obsessive, as he would go through his maintenance routines both before and after completing a mission. But in negative 20 degrees Celsius weather, proper gun maintenance was essential to avoid it jamming. His gun was an M2830, one that he had owned before the war, and it didn't have a telescopic sight. The rifle was standard issue for the Finnish infantry in the late 1930s, and Haya preferred the reliability of this very basic model and the consistency of its shot. Haya's skills had been developed through a lifetime of hunting, often hunting birds which would react to even the slightest sound, reflection, or movement. There was no foolproof method in hunting. Each situation and condition was unique. Haya's hunting experiences taught him how to read and use the terrain, and he was the master in exploiting the terrain of the battlefield to his advantage. He also excelled at estimating distances, as well as predicting the effects of wind and rain on the shot. With Haya's unique character and a lifetime of preparation, he was a nightmare for Soviet troops in the winter forests of Finland, until he was wounded on March 6, 1940. He was hit in the face with an explosive bullet during a Soviet attack. His injuries put him into a week-long coma. When he awoke, the armistice had been signed and the Winter War was over. Haya suffered near-constant pain for many years, which would seem thoroughly reasonable when you see his picture. Half of his jaw and the face around it have a surrealist melting appearance almost. He underwent a total of 26 operations on his jaw, and his speech was never fully restored. After the war ended, Haya returned to his farm. His exploits were legendary in Finland, and he became something of a celebrity, but he preferred quiet solitude, living alone until he was moved to the Kima Institute for Disabled Veterans in 2001. 
He passed away the following year at age 96. We interrupt this Your Brain on Facts for a special report from Ryan of the Conspiracy Theoryology Podcast. One of the most interesting air quotes facts about Finland is that it doesn't exist. Introduced by a Reddit user in 2015, this Redditor relayed a story supposedly told to him at a young age by his parents. Of course, it wasn't until years later, when he was older, that the weight of this secret knowledge was appreciated in his mind. The conspiracy theory he proposed, in short, went as follows. In the Cold War era, Japan and the Soviet Union supposedly shared a secret about a stretch of the Baltic Sea between the Soviet Union and Sweden. Around the mid-20th century, the two nations collectively spread the idea that there was a landmass known as Finland on the stretch of ocean to keep the good fishing between themselves. The Japanese were free to fish as much as they liked there without worrying about international laws, so long as they gave a share to Russia. The company of Nokia is actually owned by the Japanese, and it's used to hide the shipment of this secret fishing industry in the guise of hardware. And to get all this food across the continent? The Trans-Siberian Railway was built for this express purpose. Ridiculous, right? You can't just fake a country, especially not just two countries trying to keep fishing waters to themselves. But wait, there's more. This conspiracy apparently has the full support of the United Nations because they see the benefit in keeping the peace between two powerful nations. With UN support, world maps and navigation systems have been altered to show a landmass in the Baltic Sea where none actually is. And as for the Finnish people themselves, well, even though the actual landmass of Finland is fictional, the national identity is very real, even if artificial. The actual physical locations where supposed Finns live are actually just parts of eastern Sweden, Estonia, and Russia. These are the locations to which both Finnish citizens and visitors alike are taken by either unwitting or complicit airlines. But the devil is in the details, and the Japanese have a sense of humor about the whole thing, even giving away the secret within the very name of this fabricated location. Finland is simply the land of fins. And what has fins? Fish. Boom. Drop the mic. Of course, the internet has a mind of its own, and even though the author of this conspiracy theory later disclosed his identity and has since admitted that he himself doesn't believe Finland doesn't exist, and was simply relaying this unbelievable tale that he was told as a kid, the theory has sprouted legs. And there are those that are certain the conspiracy rings true, ultimately claiming that the conspiracy persists because Finland has become an ideal. They state that no real country could so consistently place first in education, healthcare, gender equality, literacy rates, national stability, and the least corrupt government in the world, and the freedom of press. The theory reads it's, it's a concept for countries and people to aspire to. Okay, there you go. The fun-filled grand conspiracy theory of Finland's fabricated existence. Thanks for letting me add to the heaping plateful of Finnish facts. I hope listeners found this fun factoid adds to the fascinating history. I invite them to join me over at Conspiracy Theoryology 
if they'd like to dive into other topics like this and explore the possible explanations about why we find alternative theories and unexplained mysteries so fascinating. Thank you, Ryan. And now back to our regularly scheduled program already in progress. Among the thousands of rows of white granite headstones in Arlington National Cemetery stands a marker bearing the names of four servicemen killed in Vietnam, three Vietnamese and one American, Major Larry Allen Thorne. However, Larry Thorne was not the man's given name, and he wasn't American. The deceased, though a legendary U.S. Green Beret of incredible courage, was actually Finnish. Larry Thorne was born Lori Allen Torney in Finland in 1919. He joined the Finnish army as a teenager and fought off the Soviet invasion in the Winter War and the Continuation War of 1941-44, rising to the rank of captain and earning Finland's equivalent of the Medal of Honor. Torney was tasked with leading elite ski units on dangerous missions behind Soviet lines and was so effective as a guerrilla fighter that the Soviets put a bounty on his head. The bounty was worth $650,000 in today's money, and there are no records of bounties being placed on any other Finnish soldier, not even Simohaya. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the Continuation War, Finland and Germany had been what's called co-belligerents, or forces fighting against a common enemy without an official alliance. While Finland had ceased Continuation War hostilities with the Soviets after coming to a territorial agreement, Nazi Germany was still at war with the Red Army. Tourney wanted to continue fighting the Soviets. He trained with the infamous SS during the Continuation War, so he joined with the Germans again in the last few months of World War II, before being captured by Allied forces. They placed him in a POW camp, but Torney, not to disappoint, escaped and returned to Finland. After World War II, he emigrated to the United States, Americanized his name to Larry Thorne, and joined the U.S. Army in 1954, thanks to the Lodge-Philwin Act which permitted the recruitment of foreign nationals into the U.S. Armed Forces. I do not know from my research if the Army knew he had been in the SS. Finnish-American officers recognized Thorne's abilities and directed him to Special Forces, where he became an instructor and taught skiing, survival, mountaineering, and guerrilla tactics. He attended airborne school and earned his silver wings as a Green Beret. Thorne also went through OCS, or Officer Candidate School, and was commissioned as a first lieutenant. In the span of only three years, he rose from recruit to captain. 
As a Green Beret captain, Thorne was known as one of the toughest fighters. He was extremely fit, and often physically outperformed soldiers half his age. Still fighting in his 40s, Thorne served in the 10th Special Forces Group in West Germany as part of a search-and-rescue unit and led operations to recover bodies from a crashed airplane in the Zagros Mountains of Iran. In November 1963, Thorne was sent to Vietnam, where he served two tours and earned a Bronze Star for Valor and two Purple Hearts. He continued to build his reputation for bravery by taking on difficult assignments and leading his men with courage and distinction. On October 18, 1965, Thorne was flying in a South Vietnamese Air Force helicopter when the weather went bad. Caught in heavy fog and rain, Thorne would not order the chopper to leave out of concern for the men on the ground that his chopper crew was supporting. The weather worsened, and the chopper crashed into a mountainside. All on board were killed. Thorne was 46 years old. He was posthumously promoted to major and awarded the Legion of Merit and Distinguished Flying Cross. His remains would not be located until 1999. Even then, military authorities were not sure it was him, as his remains were intermingled with those of the three South Vietnamese Army soldiers who were with him on the chopper. They were all buried at Arlington under a single headstone that bears the names Larry Thorne, Bao Tung Nguyen, Thê Long Phan, and Von Long Bui. And that's how a soldier from Finland, who once wore a German uniform, was killed in Vietnam and buried in America's most venerated military cemetery. Speaking of passed-on people who've gotten around, our audio correction today is from the episode Well-Traveled Bodies, specifically where I said the man posing as Elmer McCurdy's brother took his preserved corpse to Arkansas City, Kansas. Turns out I was wrong in my assumption that Arkansas should be pronounced like Arkansas. Lucky for me, Dan Pugh and Shauna Harris at the Bunny Trails podcast know what's up. Hi, Moxie. It's Dan Pugh. And Shauna Harrison from the Bunny Trails podcast. We wanted to touch base with an interesting pronunciation fact about the city where Elmer McCurdy's body was shipped after being claimed by his fake brother. Specifically, Arkansas City is a small city southeast of Wichita near the Oklahoma border. So you'll notice that it's pronounced slightly different than most people would think. Arkansas is derived from a French translation of an Algonquin word from the Siouxian language. The Siouxian language pronounced their words similar to how we would say Kansa, and the Algonquin language added the letter A as a prefix before a word that denoted an ethnic group, giving us the word Akansa. Several French documents spelled the word in a variety of different ways, and many of them added an R between the A and the K. Also in French, the S at the end of a word is often silent, so that allows us to arrive at the current spelling of Arkansas, A-R-K-A-N-S-A-S. Kansas, however, derived from an English translation of a French translation of the same Siouan word, though not passing through the Algonquin language. So the word for the Kanza tribe was also used to describe the river running through the area, which is now known as the Kansas or Kaw River. On French maps in the early 1700s, the river was labeled Grand River de Kansas, spelled C-A-N-S-E-Z, 
with an English I that says Kansas. And so we Kansans use our pronunciation for our Kansas City. And that city sits on a river that, in over 190 countries and 49 states, is called the Arkansas River. But here in Kansas, we say the Arkansas River. So both Kansas and Arkansas come from the same roots, but are pronounced differently today because of the languages they passed through. And that confusion is why we like to say, words Words belong belong to to their their users. users. You can also leave corrections or audio feedback without benefit of recording equipment by leaving a voicemail at 804-404-2669. Another cool thing that happened this past week was that my niece came over so that we could film the first few episodes of Science with Savannah, age 7. The topics included the different ways that animals breathe, how and why dogs bark, and all about the wind. It was a little harder to pull off than I'd anticipated, because I hadn't considered the difficulty of keeping a child focused when you yourself have ADD, but we managed. Look for Science with Savannah Age 7 in both podcast and YouTube channel form in mid-May. Hopefully. A major part of life in Finland, from ancient times to today, is sauna. And that's not me saying it like a jerk. That's how it's actually pronounced. Sauna. The first written descriptions of a Finnish sauna date back to the year 1112, when saunas were dug into embankments. Later, log buildings were constructed. The sauna room didn't have a chimney, only a small air vent in the back wall. A fire was placed in the center, in which rocks would also be heated and smoke was allowed to fill the room when it came up to temperature. It was a half-day process to heat this type of room. When the fire had died down and the sauna was ready, bathers would let the smoke clear and go inside. The walls and ceiling would be black with soot. The sauna later evolved to the more common metal wood stove heater with a chimney. These warm wooden rooms could be used at lower temperatures too, and were at the heart of major life events for Finnish people. They could be used for drying flax, preparing malt, and curing meat. The saunas were known as the poor man's pharmacy. In addition to soothing sore muscles and sweating out sickness, it was also the hospital in which folk healers practiced their art. Women gave birth in them because the walls of a traditional wood fire sauna were lined with naturally bacteria-resistant soot, which could make them the cleanest room in the house. Saunas were a place of purification rituals before marriage, and the bodies of the dead were washed and prepared there. It's little wonder why, for many Finns, the sauna is closely associated with their well-being. Today, Finland is a nation of 5.3 million people and 3.3 million saunas, found in homes, offices, gyms, hotels, on ships, and even deep below the ground in mines. They have more saunas than they have cars, and nearly every Finn hits the sauna at least once a week. Wherever Finns traveled in the world, they brought their sauna culture with them. It was first brought to America by Finns who settled in the current state of Delaware in 1638. Modern-day life and electricity evolved the sauna, and they gained wider population in the U.S., 
after the electric sauna stove was developed in the 1950s. Finnish soldiers at war would build dugout or tent saunas whenever possible. Finns serving with the UN Peace Corps attracted attention to themselves by building a sauna at every base they were stationed on. In 1936, a sauna was built at the Olympic Village in Berlin. A sauna is considered a standard and indispensable element for sports centers, hotels, and even camping sites. Innumerable families have sauna cottages by a lake or by the sea for a refreshing dip in the cold water afterwards. Any business wishing to project the image of a successful enterprise must have a sauna of its own. Finnish boats and car ferries have served their passengers with saunas, and people are investigating installing them in trains. The number of sauna types seems to be increasing, with the only kind that's going away being large public standalone saunas for the whole town. Being invited to sauna with someone is a big deal. Decline if you must, but you better have a good reason. Even more so than at your gym, there are rules for using the sauna. If you're talking, you should not discuss your job or religion. The exception to the job one being if you're in a business meeting that's being held in a sauna, which is by no means uncommon and makes no less sense than the 80s stereotype of discussing business over racquetball. No clothes or swimsuits allowed, for the same reason that you wouldn't wear them in the bath or shower. You're in the sauna not only to relax, but to get clean. Men and women visit the sauna separately, unless they're members of the same family. Children go in with their parents, at least until they're teenagers, when they tend to go alone or with friends. So everyone is naked together, and everyone is okay with it, and that's the way it should be. We all have the same bodies, and we've all seen naked bodies before. To learn more about communal bathing and other interesting self-care around the world, I recommend the book Cathedrals of the Flesh, My Search for the Perfect Bath by Alexia Brew. As soon as I can figure out how to make a Goodreads list, I'll make one of all the books I've referenced over the past 14 months. You'll be sweating heavily in a sauna, so be sure to drink a lot. While water is best, beer and cider are what Finns enjoy the most. Another key part of the experience is roasting sausages, either on the fire or in tinfoil on the stove. But do check before doing that one at the gym. A sauna without a vikta is like food without salt, a saying goes. What is a vikta? A small bundle of young birch branches with leaves. And what do you do with it? You hit yourself, of course. The bather uses the vikta to beat themselves lightly. This raises the blood circulation in the skin, which speeds up perspiration, and even produces a pleasant aroma in the hot room. There's a similar practice in Russia, but someone else does the beating. Bonus fact, sauna is the only Finnish word in the English dictionary. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. Don't think I forgot about possibly the most important thing about Finland. It leads the world in heavy metal bands per capita, with 53 per 100,000 residents. Sweden is a distant second at 37. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. 
And for those of you who have been with me for a while, as I've been developing what we thought was asthma over the last eight months, it turns out it's an ovarian cyst. Who knew that your ovaries could make your chest hurt all day? Like, I didn't. So, gonna have a little surgery, shouldn't affect the publishing schedule. I've appreciated so much all of the kind words people have offered me after I've mentioned my lung problems on the air. You guys are the absolute best. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.